Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Come on along and listen to the Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the remarkable story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode 50 Years on Broadway. I recently had the delightful opportunity to chat with beloved Broadway actor, singer, dancer, director, and choreographer Leroy Reams, whose nine Broadway musicals span from Sweet Charity in 1966 to The Producers in 1996, and I'm happy to say that he is still going strong, having just recently celebrated his 79th birthday by performing his one-man tribute to Jerry Herman at 54 Below and at the York Theatre Company. Our conversation today ranges from his childhood dancing school days in his hometown of Covington, Kentucky, to college in Cincinnati, to his dancing with the stars in Summerstock, nightclubs, and on most of the big TV variety shows, and along the way working with many of the greatest directors and choreographers in Broadway history. Hang on to your hats. Talking with Leroy is always a wild and irreverent ride. Here we go. So welcome, Leroy. Thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Nation today. As always, a pleasure, my Kentucky buddy. Exactly. Well, I'm actually from the Cincinnati side of the river, but I spent a lot of time in Kentucky. We'll, well probably talk a little bit about why in a couple of minutes. Well, Harvey Honiger, Harvey Evans was a wetback too. Exactly. You all came over the river. <laughs> but I also studied in Cincinnati too. You crossed the river many, many times yeah. there. Well, yeah. you know, with Harris Rosedale, did you ever study with him? I didn't. I know that name. I remember hearing that name before. I used to have a TV amateur show on the local TV and all of that stuff. So my show is all about connecting the dots over the course of the 120-year or so history of the Broadway musical. And your career begins in the final years of the golden age of Broadway and spans through the modern era and right up to the 21st century. Your first show on Broadway was in 1966, and your most recent show on Broadway was 2006. So that's 50 years on Broadway, which is truly amazing. So over that time, you've had the experience, the sort of unique experience of working with several of the musical theater's greatest Tony Award-winning director, choreographers, 
Bob Fosse, Ron Field, and Gower Champion are at the top of that list, as well as wonderful choreographers that you worked with on television, most of whom also worked on Broadway. Yes. And then you yourself have worked extensively as a director and choreographer in addition to your performing career. Yes. So I thought it would be interesting today to talk through your career with a special focus on the amazing creators that you had an opportunity to work with and that were clearly eager to work with you. But before we get to there, let's spend a couple minutes talking about how it all began. How did this boy from Kentucky end up having this amazing career on Broadway? Where did it start? What got you interested in show business? Well, probably we have a lot in common, David, because, you know, for your listeners, we're from the same area and studied with some of the same teachers as we were being trained. And in my case, no one forced me. I just as a kid... Whenever there was music on, I was up in the middle of the floor singing and dancing. And I was the youngest of seven children. And my mother, when they would ask her how many children she had, she always said, I've got three boys, three girls, and Leroy. (laughs) So I would jump up in the middle of the floor singing and dancing. And so my mother read in the local newspaper, the Kentucky Post, I think it was, and it uh, was advertising the local dance school, which was called the Jules Stein School of Dance. And they said, if you sign up for so many lessons, you got a free pair of tap shoes and a promise your child would be in the annual recital. So off I went. And they had the sign that said, tap toe, ballet, acrobatic, baton, ballroom, voice, personality, and culture. And my teacher was not Jules Stein, Joan Bamberger. She was a younger girl who taught the young kids. And so that's how I started. Indeed, I was in that first recital I know that I was shown a picture. It's very funny. to see me in my white blouse and the black pants with the sash and the big black floppy tie, you know, because that's the way we did it. It was the Johnson rag. Hap, hap, there goes the Johnson rag, and, you know, tap dancing and all of that. So, and, and how old are you at this point? Oh, I had to be like maybe six years old, mm-hmm. about that age. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I was young. And, of course, I just loved it. And what was interesting, my niece, who was only two years younger than I, also went to dancing school. She was like three or four. She didn't last, but I loved it. And at the end of that recital the next year, that dancing school teacher hung himself. You were kidding. Jules yeah, Stein? Yeah, Jules Stein, which had nothing to do with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then we had to find another dance teacher. And then that was Bob Ziegler, who was about 18 years old. And he started his school in Covington, Kentucky. And so we signed up there, but then he got drafted. And so his teacher, Alma Tranter, and her husband came in to run the school while he was in the service. And she was wonderful. She had blonde hair, and I just loved her. And when she saw me, she took me out of my class because she said I was too good to be in my age range. So she put me in one of the more advanced classes. So, of course, I loved her. And she told my mother she wanted me to do a solo. We didn't have money for private lessons. And she said, well, I'll teach Leroy without him having to pay. So she taught me a routine, put me in the recital. And she told my mother, she said, he has it. She said, he's got the talent and he can make a living doing this. I don't tell all the parents that, but Leroy has it. And that was the first validation of my talent. And of course, I loved her. And then when Bobby came out of the service, I wasn't as happy. 
because he wanted me to put back in my age group. And so that's when I went to the Ellen Stanhope School, who was also a student of Mrs. Tranner's. And I stayed there for a while. And I also went to Bobby later. And then I went to Harris Rosedale and Cincinnati and all of that stuff. So then when I was at my senior year in high school, I got a call from the Cincinnati uh, Opera Ballet because they had heard of me and wanted me to come and audition to be in the Opera Ballet at the zoo. So anyway, I was hired. And that's where I met Susie Ficker. Susie was then about maybe 14, and I was like 17 because I didn't turn 18 until that August. And so we became friendly, and she said, uh, how would you like to come and study at my school, the College Conservatory of Music? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. We have just enough money to even get me into college because we were on a budget. So she said, well, I can get you a scholarship. Marion LaCour, I said, well, do I have to audition? No, she comes to the opera and I'll point you out. And indeed, Marion LaCour came back and said, yes, I'll give you a scholarship. And had I known David, I mean, you know, anyone to lift all those fat girls, I could have probably asked for money and got a scholarship plus a salary. But anyway, so I did. And of course, Susie Ficker became Suzanne Farrell of the New York City Ballet. Wow. So we had met that summer, and that was a lifelong friendship. She was responsible for getting me my scholarship. And of course, then with Marianne LaCour and eventually Tatiana Gransova, who was with the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo, replaced Marianne LaCour when she retired. And that's when I really got heavy duty training from uh, Tatiana Gransova. She was incredible. And I have never danced better or had such a strong foundation because of those people. But the good thing about being in those dance schools where they taught everything, you tap dance, you did everything. And it gave you a whole uh, background to go into musical theater. Now, I didn't want to be a ballet dancer. I knew that. I loved doing it. But I, I was a singer. I studied voice at the conservatory. And also, I was a theater arts major at the University of Cincinnati with Paul Rutledge. That was under the English department back then. And then later, when I graduated the next year, they had a musical theater major, which Pam Myers, who was in company, she was the first student. So we're all connected that way. But the training that I got in the Covington, Kentucky, Cincinnati area was what prepared me for New York. And because of Paul Rutledge, who was my professor at the university, my junior and senior year, I directed and choreographed all the musicals. And then I was a vice president of the Marbles Guild my sophomore year and president my junior and senior year. And we operated theaters in the summertime. But at the end of my freshman year, I went up to Dayton, Ohio, and was with the James Alex Summer Theater. And that's where I met all the stars. You know, Dorothy Dandridge, Rita Moreno, Patricia Morrison, Dorothy Collins, Catherine Grayson, Martha Ray, just a huge amount of professional people. And I did roles. I was promised so many parts. And I was hired as a principal actor. But when the director, Neil Kenyon, who eventually did Dames at Sea off-Broadway, uh, I was just too young. What and, you shows know, are these? What shows are you doing? The first show was Showboat, and then Damn Yankees, Brigadoon, Kiss Me Kate, Wildcat, which I actually didn't get to do because a contralto sat on my lap and bruised my testicles, so I had to leave earlier. <laughs> and, uh, and then Bye Bye Birdie with Jack Carson. And, uh, and this is one week stock? One week stock. And, you know, you wonder how you do that now. I mean, we literally opened the show and then we had a day off. And the next day we came in, rehearsed all day for the next show. I and, remember it well, oh, but it, I don't know how we did it. I don't either. But, you know, because we were young and we could memorize all that stuff and we loved it so much and we could rehearse all day and perform at night. We don't do that anymore, but boy, it was great training. And it was interesting because uh, when we walked in for show, but I was supposed to have played Frank Schultz. And Neil Kenyon took one look at me and said, well, he's too young. He's a boy. You know, and I was then 17, but I looked younger. 
And he said, if he takes off a shirt, he's going to look 12, you know, <laughs> but uh, I was trained. I could do the work, but anyway, so I, some of the roles I got and some of them I didn't because of my age, but Dorothy Dandridge was the first star and wow. she was absolutely beautiful. One of the most beautiful women I, I've ever seen, but she was saved herself. playing Julie? Playing Julie, but she wow. saved herself during rehearsal. So she would always go, fish got a <laughs> so when it came time for the show she had no voice and so when she got on stage when she did can't help loving that man on mine she went fish got sweat birds gonna fly i gotta can't help and she thought his went can't help meaning her throat oh you know okay. what a time stock was but then the next show was damn yankees rita moreno okay. and of course she had just won the academy award for west side story and i was gonna do who's got the pain when they do the mambo and so our first day of rehearsal, Marvin Gordon was the choreographer. Wonderful man. I loved him. And Rita took one look at me and her eyes got real big. And Marvin said, don't worry. He's very good. And if you don't watch it, he'll steal the number from you. So hesitantly, she started rehearsal. And when she realized that I could do what I was supposed to do, and at one point she had to get up on my shoulder and throw herself back and say, is there a doctor in the house? Da, 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 da. And she said, well, maybe because uh, she didn't trust me being able to hold her. Sure. And so Marvin Gordon, I learned a real good lesson from Marvin. He said, look, he said, if you can't do it, of course, that's the original choreography that Gwen Verdon did. <laughs> she, oh, Gwen did that? He said, yes. Oh, okay. So she jumped up through the back and that was fine. So I learned then how to manipulate people. She said, well, if you can't do it, Gwen Verdon could do it. But that, you know. So finally, they get the energy to be able to do it. But and went on and then Patricia Morrison, I, I was supposed to play Bill Calhoun, but too young again. So another actor played that, but I did all the dancing. So it was a very strange thing. He was saying the song that I'd come out and do the dancing. But Annie Get Your Gun was the biggie because that was a bigger role. And of course, that part now has been written out of the new version of Annie right. Get Your Gun. The comedy couple, basically. Yes. The song and dance couple. Yeah. I think his name was like Tommy Keeler. I, he I had it. two numbers. Had yeah. two numbers in the show. So I got a great review for that. And uh, the local critic there became one of my fans. So it was really terrific. But I, I tell this story. It's a good story. Uh, the, the lead lady who was going to play her name was Christine Norton. Now, you've probably never heard of her. She's English. She's sort of like a Diana Doors type lady. Janice Page was supposed to have played it, but uh, supposedly a pressure cooker blew up in her face. At least that's what they said. So Christine came in to replace her. She had never seen Annie Get Your Gun, and she's going to learn it in a week. And so the first day of rehearsal, when I went, I met her. And she said, well, you're cute. Uh, what are you doing now? I said, well, nothing, just, you know, waiting. She said, well, why don't you come with me to go to my costume fitting, and we'll get acquainted. So we went to the costume fitting, and she was big-breasted. And she stripped off her clothes in front of me. She had a bikini bra and bikini under, which I had never seen. So she is standing there, and she bent over, and her bosom came out, and she picked it up and went, get back in there, my little pink poodle. <laughs> and she looked at me, and I had big eyes. And she said, oh, I hope I didn't embarrass you. I said, no, I'm fine. She said, but I'll tell you what's embarrassing. She said, what's embarrassing? I was once going down on my boyfriend driving in a convertible, and a bus came by. She said, now that, that's embarrassing. <laughs> so that was my introduction to summer stock. Welcome to show business. That's right. So I, I grew up a lot that summer, but I loved every single moment of it. I would have stayed up at night and rehearsed if they would have let me. I remember those summer stock days as well. We would have licked the stage if they needed us to lick That's the right. stage. Clean, and and of know. course, when I came back to run the showboat, David, you were with the company then. 
So but that's we have, when we work together. Absolutely. We have many things in common. I studied with Bobby Ziegler at Ziegler's Studio of Dance for many, many years. Also went to the University of Cincinnati and worked with Paul Rutledge, great mentor. And I owe so much to Paul because he really was one of the people that recognized my ability to do something at a time when really there was no reason for anyone to think I could do it, yes. especially at the age I was at. Yes. And those people, I think, are so important in our lives. People say, oh, there's something about this kid, even though he has has no experience and you wouldn't expect he would be able to choreograph something or direct something or do the things that I did at a young age. It's those people like Paul, and I'm sure the same thing worked for you, that are able to identify talent in spite of the fact that there's really very little to go on. Huge, huge influence in my career and in my life as a person because I am a gay man and Paul was a gay man. He was, you know, a good role model. And he was extremely intelligent and, and knew his business and gave me the responsibility so that when I came to New York, I was a working professional. I had my equity card that I got that summer at the James Alex Summer Theater. So when I came to New York, my first audition was for the Julia Prowse Nightclub Act. And I got it only because I was experienced and I had been trained well because of my teachers and all those people who recognized my talent and gave me the courage and the confidence to pursue it. And also my first professional choreographer from television, of course, was Ernie Flack, who did the Julia Prowse nightclub act. And he had not done the Carol Burnett show by then, but he had done the Gary Moore show. So he also was a prime factor in me getting to know people. And then Julia Prowse introduced me to everybody. And that began my career as a dancer. I danced with all the stars, did all the television shows. And that's where I met Tony Sharmily, who choreographed Juliet's second act and was my favorite choreographer, by the way. I love Tony Sharmily. Let me just put this in context. You arrive in New York in what year? 65. I graduated in 64. We went down to Florida with the university, and we operated the Daytona Beach Little Theater there. So we did the summer there. Marsha Lewis, who was you know mm -hmm. part of the company and all of that, they all came down, and we operated this little theater for the summer. Then at the end of the summer, Marsha didn't go back to get her nursing degree because she was already a registered nurse. So she went to New York, and then I had to get a job to make money to be able to come to New York. So I worked as a piping contractor secretary because I had taken business courses in high school, and I screwed up his book so badly he fired me, which he should have, because I knew I wasn't going to do it. And then I became a substitute English teacher in the Covington and Cincinnati school systems because I couldn't sign a contract because I knew as soon as I had 500 bucks, honey, I was going to go to New York. So I did that. I got the money. And Paul Rutledge, as a matter of fact, drove me to New York. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Factor as a sponsor to Broadway Nation this week. This spring, you can eat stress-free with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. You can choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or my personal choice, Vegan and Veggie. You can also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunches, snacks, and beverages that'll help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. If you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, 
truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. These are no-fuss, no-muss meals, and factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. You simply heat and savor the good stuff. And you can tailor it all to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. And you can pause or reschedule the deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast, premium meals without the need for cooking. And we're celebrating Earth Day all month long at Factor, so look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com bn50 and use code bn50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box. That's code bn50 as in Broadway Nation, bn50 at factormeals.com bn50 to get 50% off your first box and 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Do it now. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now we pick up our story with Leroy's arrival in the Big Apple. I had two little suitcases, and I stayed with Marcia Lewis, and she had a nursing apartment through Mount Sinai Hospital at 96th and Park, a very nice apartment that she shared with another nurse. And it was illegal to have someone in there, but I went there, and that's where I stayed. So when I went to my first audition, picked up backstage show business magazine, read the ads, and it said Julia Prowse nightclub act, must be six feet, attractive, sing and dance. Well, I got the job. And then I fell in love madly with Julia Prowse. And so when we finished the act, I came back to New York, picked up the papers again, and that's where I read about Sweet Charity and Bob Fosse. So I went to that audition, and I got that audition. And that began my thing with Bob Fosse. But it's interesting that you couldn't buy dance pants then. They didn't sell them. They certainly didn't sell them in Cincinnati or Covington. So I wore ballet tights, because that's what I wore. So when I went to the audition for Sweet Charity... Of course, there were dancers who made the double-knit jersey pants, but you had to know them. You couldn't go to a store and buy them. So uh, Bob Fosse wouldn't pay attention to me at the audition because he thought I was a ballet dancer. But Gwen was watching me, and I kept getting saved and saved, but he wasn't paying attention to me. So then we had to sing, and then when I opened up, because I could sing, I was a studied singer, and dancers didn't really sing like that back then. Well, very few dancers sing as well as you do, even today. Well, once I opened up my mouth, Cy Coleman jumped up and ran over to Bob Fosse. So I knew then that that was a good sign. But Bob Fosse still wasn't sold on me. He kept me back, but he still wasn't giving me, you know, the final selection. So then he had me read for a small part in the show called Young Spanish Man. And my competition was Miguel Hedro who is Puerto Rican. I think that was Fosse's way of saying, well, I'll get rid of him this way. But Miguel Hedro didn't speak very well. And of course, I had Spanish 101 at the university. So when I read, that was it. I got the part. But even in rehearsal, Fosse wasn't paying a lot of attention. And then with the fruit, we had to smoke. 
because he's always with a cigarette in his mouth. And so I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't smoke and I prefer not to smoke. And so he said, well, I guess at least you can carry the cigarette. If one person is smoking, they won't notice. So then we got out of town. Now, this is a true story. Now, I'm bragging, but it's a true story. So we had our first performance out of town. And at intermission, Bob Fosse came back to the dressing room and burst in and looked at me and said, what were you doing out there? And I thought, well, this is that he's going to fire me because he doesn't really like me anyway. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. He said, you never performed like that. He said, you came out on station. I couldn't keep my eyes off of you all night. there just carrying on. He said, you never did that in rehearsal. I said, well, you didn't ask me to. So anyway, then I became a favorite. Did you rehearse Sweet Charity in the theater or the studio? Where did you rehearse the show? We rehearsed in a studio. And I think it was Variety Arts. That old studio that had the poles we always used to hit our heads on. That's because that was Fosse's favorite place. And he used to take a room in the nearby hotel when he was rehearsing so he could just be next door. That's the way he did it. It was a fabulous time. And Bobby and Gwen would rehearse on the breaks. I used to go into the room and sit in the back to watch them. Now, they never said, you can't be in here because the other kids were out smoking and, you know, carrying on, not me. I was in the room watching them rehearse because I knew this was history. And I'll never forget one day they were doing a step and then she'd do it. And Fosse threw up his hands and he said, I don't know whether any of this shit is any good or not. He said, on you, everything looks good. But he was right. He would do it. And then when she did it, it became art because it was in her face. A lot of people dance with their bodies, but Gwen danced with her face. And watching them create, oh my God, David, you can't buy that. You're already interested in directing and choreographing. You've already done some. So here you are having this masterclass. And I understand because I had many of those same impulses to be in the room when things were happening, no matter what everybody else was doing. And another moment during that rehearsal period, Gwen didn't like singing, Where Am I Going? And one day she just said, Bobby, I don't want to do this number. I'm not a singer. I'm not a singer. Well, she was wrong. But on matinee day, she used to cut that number all the time. So I got to see those things. And then our first dress rehearsal out of town in Philadelphia, the first number Gwen had on like a green fishtail dress. And Fosse said, I don't like that dress. I can't say because she wore a black slip in rehearsal. And he got used to seeing her in that black slip. So he didn't like that dress. Then the Hey Big Spender number came on and he screamed, I hate those dresses. They're too glittery. This is a cheap dance hall. And Irene Sheriff took those mm-hmm. sketches. And I was out in the audience. And the kids were backstage. I was in the audience watching. And Irene Sheriff took those sketches down and she threw them in here. She said, here, you son of a bitch. She said, you approved all of these costume sketches. You were at the fittings. What you're seeing on the sketches of what's on stage. And he threw everything out. And then we did the fruit number, and we were all in shades of beiges and browns, and our outfits were silk mohair. And the girls had hand-painted tights from Paris. And we came out and did the fruit number when we finished. The knees came out of the tights. The boys, we ripped our jackets. We looked like we'd been through World War II. (laughs) So all of those costumes were thrown out, and Fosse said, I want them in black tuxedos, I want the girls in black sheets. And they saved the trim on those dresses and put them on the black dresses. And Gwen, of course, he said, she's just going to wear that black slip. So they made Gwen a black dress, which she wore during most of the show. So all those costumes were thrown out in one dress rehearsal. It was fascinating. But Irene Sheriff is a pro. She went into the room and she did what he wanted. She wasn't happy, but she did what he wanted. And it was interesting to see how professionals work and to have witnessed Irene Sheriff yelling at Bob Fosse and seeing all these giants of the theater. 
and then getting to know Cy Coleman and Dorothy Field. I mean, here was Dorothy Field, who began writing lyrics when she was 16 years old at a time when women couldn't get jobs, period, in the theater, doing that kind of thing. She knew everybody's name. It was incredible to see how professional people work. And I've been lucky because most of the people I worked with were like that. Cy Coleman was a buddy, and Cy Coleman came up to me first day of rehearsal and said, I'm so glad you're in the show when you opened your mouth and sang, I had to have you. And we became friendly. And I, I remember my memories now coming back at a party for New Year's Eve. It was in one of the hotels. They had this big party for us. And Gwen, unfortunately, was out of the show that night because she got down from one of the coats in her throat. And Helen Gallagher had to go on with no rehearsal. And she got through it. It was brilliant. But we went to the party. And at the party, everyone got drunk. And Cy Coleman was playing the piano. And he said, hey, Dorothy, come over here and sing one of your songs. And she went over and sat down next to him. And I sat at her feet. And she sang Don't Blame Me that night. I thought, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And then when she finished the song, I said, oh, Dorothy, that was so wonderful. She said, thank you, John. She said, I can't stand up. I'm so drunk. Would you help me up and take me up to my room, my keys and the purse? And she said, just make sure when you get me in that my feet are on the bed and leave the key on the nightstand. So I took Dorothy Field up, put her in the room, put her feet up, put on the key. But I felt like I was the luckiest person in the world to be in that company. I've never lost my fascination and love of the business and the people in it and to be accepted and to be one of them. It's a thing that continues to amaze me. When I worked with Jerry Herman and did that concert where I'm jumping off the piano, singing his songs and he's playing the piano, I would just look at him and say, how can this have happened? And to know these people on a first name basis and that they, you know, quote Sally Field, they really liked me. And to be accepted by them and yeah. to be treated with respect that way, that's the award. The other stuff is superficial. That's the real award. She's a brass band. She's a harpsichord. She's a clarinet. That's me. She's a Philadelphia orchestra and the modern jazz quartet. <laughs> She's a fan from Macy's Big Parade of Wild Town Macy's Blast. She's the bells of St. Peter's in Rome. She's tissue paper on a So what was it that made Fosse so great? Well, because he was brilliantly talented and had a style. And the style was his body. And if you see in the movie of Kiss Me Kate, that section that he did with Carol Haney, that was his choreography. It wasn't to Hermes Pan. That was Bobby's choreography. So he was already establishing a style. And it's interesting, you know, he tap danced. He and his first wife, Marian Niles, had an act that they tap danced. And Gwen tap danced. They never tap danced at any of their Broadway shows. That's so interesting. They were really good tap dancers, yes, but they yes. just left it behind. And Gwen worked on point. There's a film clip of Gwen when she was a young teenager working on point. And this relationship between Gwen and Bob Fosse, my feeling is, and I don't know this, you will know this for sure, they're creating this work together to a great extent. Yes. Is yes. that true? It, it is true. And because Gwen was so varied as a dancer, she could do anything. And her work with Jack Cole gave her a style that kind of transferred onto Fosse too. So it was a melding of the styles. Jack Cole was a huge influence on Gwen. And once they did Damn Yankees together and Gwen could see what he could do style-wise, it became a melding. But Bobby was always in control. He was always the leader, and she followed that way. She never said, oh, I don't want to do it that way. I think I should do this. No, whatever he said, she did. It was like, I don't mean this unkindly, like an S&M relationship. He drove, and she did what she was told to do. 
And that was amazing. And she was very uh, cooperative and she kept encouraging him, you know, because he was insecure about a lot of those things. And it's interesting, we don't think of that, but I remember when he got the Fred Astaire Award for his choreography for Big Deal, which was a flop. And I was at the awards ceremony that night and he got up and he said, I'm paraphrasing now. He said, I think I did some of my best work on Big Deal. And he said, and now it's a close show. He said, that's why I'm insecure. That's why I have this attitude about my life. Because, you know, I think I'm doing so well and then it doesn't work out. He said, but I'll tell you one thing I'm not insecure about. It's the love of my dancers, four of whom are in the audience tonight. And I want them to stand up. Donna McKechnie, Leroy Reams, Ann Reinking, and Ben Vereen. And I cried. I cried, David. To be standing up as a Bob Fosse dancer, to be recognized by him, that was an award better than a Tony Award. I'm so proud to have that reputation, and it's because of them. And we'll never see the likes of the two of them ever again, and we'll never see the likes of Gwen Verdon on the stage again. Somebody loves me. She was a magical performer, and it was art at its highest with the musical theater. At last... Did you see her perform live? I did. I saw her in Chicago, the original production of Chicago. She was phenomenal. And the other went Cheetah Rivera. That's as good as it gets. I directed Cheetah and Anything Goes at the Paper Mill Playhouse. And I love that production. I think that was one of the best things I ever did. And working with Cheetah, that's as good as it gets. doesn't get better than that. And I, I told the kids, I said, if you really want to learn, this is better than taking a course in any university in the country. You just watch Cheetah Rivera and you see how she behaves and what she does. That's a real professional. You only had to tell her something once and she would just do it. And every yes. moment has truth in it. Right. Then when we got back to New York, Julia Prouse asked me to go back and do her nightclub act. And she was paying $350 a week and $400 a week when we got to Las Vegas. Expenses paid. And what were you getting on Broadway? $125. So dancers made $125 a week in 1966 on Broadway. To put this all into perspective, that $125 a week paycheck would today be the equivalent of $1,024. And the current Broadway minimum salary is $2,034, which means that today Broadway chorus dancers are paid approximately twice what they were in the 1960s. And finally, that $350 salary that Leroy received from Juliet Prouse would equal nearly $3,000 a week today. And Bob Fosse said to me, just give me a reason why you're leaving the show. Do you know how many dancers in New York want to work with me? Just give me one good reason. And I said, Julia Prouse pays me $350-$400 a week. He laughed, and that was the end of that. He still asked me to do the film, which I was very happy to do, and it was a wonderful experience. And then he chose me to dance with Gwen when we did the Cool Hand Loop number, which is on YouTube, with Buddy Vest. And Gwen requested me when she danced on Ed Sullivan's show with Peter Gennaro and Ron Field, who choreographed, she would request me as one of her dancers. So I became a dance favorite of all those people. And and I danced with Sid Charisse. I danced with all the star ladies. As Leroy mentioned, you can see that Cool Hand Luke number and several of his other fabulous TV performances with Gwen Verdon and other stars on YouTube. And I'll be posting links to those videos in my Broadway Nation Facebook group, Next week in New York, on October 13th and 14th, the Fosse-Verdon Legacy will present a piece entitled The Sweet Gwen Suite as part of the New York City Center Fall for Dance Festival. This new dance piece is adapted from three dance numbers that were performed by Gwen Verdon on television, including Cool Hand Luke.
But the thing was, I was being known as a dancer, and I was working right. all the time. And then when I went back with Julia, Tony Charmley choreographed her act, and he asked me to do the Danny Kay TV show. So I was a regular dancer, and, and that was the highest money you could make as a dancer, doing television. So I became a television dancer. Many times, I would do two shows in a week because the choreographers knew each other, and they would borrow me because I was quick. We would schedule it that I could do rehearsals and do both shows. I watched the Cool Hand Luke number again last night, which mm -hmm. is, you know, sensational. Give us a sense of what being a dancer on TV was. How did that work? There's a new show every week. Are you learning all the numbers in that one week? That's it, right. We so start rehearsal on Monday, and by Saturday, you usually filmed. And the choreographers were all so good. Ernie Flatt, he had such a library in his head, like Susan Stroman does. You say any period style or whatever, they can pull it out. And Peter Gennaro was just like going to a party every day. We couldn't wait to get to rehearsal. And you had to pull us out. We hated to go home because it was like a party. He was so much fun. And his body, you just put on music and he would just get up and everything would start going. It was just absolutely thrilling. What was his particular style? What did he have that was special or different than other choreographers? It was like a jazzy style. It's the way that he danced. He was a little guy. So, you mm -hmm. know, he did shorter movement and he always liked tall dancers with him. So we always had to say, Peter, be a little kind. It takes us a little longer to do those things because you're short, you know. Oh, God, he was a great guy. I loved him so much. As I said, it was a party every day in rehearsal. And uh, Tony Charmley was another one who respected his dancers. And he would come in and he would say, I've got the best dancers in California. Learn this. I'm going to go home and paint. You know what you're doing. He trusted us. We would have mm -hmm. killed for him. And I learned how to treat people and how to get the best of them. Because at that time with Jerome Robbins and that group of people, they were very strict and condescending and mean. Right. And I never had that with Tony Charmley and Peter Gennaro. They were wonderful. Ernie was a bit of a taskmaster. Ron Field to a degree. Ron could sometimes be mean to dancers, but he was brilliant. Ron right. Field was really a wonderful talent. And I was working constantly, but it's not what I wanted to do, David. I wanted right. to do roles, I wanted to sing, and I wanted to act. And so finally, on The Carol Burnett Show, Ernie Flatt hired me for that. And three months of that, I just said, this is it. And I know the week, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was around Christmas, and Carol was doing Mowgli in a Jungle Book number. And Ernie <laughs> said, Leroy, there's an elephant in there, and you and Randy Doney will be the elephant. You want to be the front or the rear end? And I said, neither, because I want to talk with you, Ernie, at the end of the day. And I said, I'll finish out the week. I don't want to do this anymore. I said I should be back in New York and I want to leave. And thank you for giving me my first job and for being kind to me, but I have to go back to New York. On the next episode of Broadway Nation, we will follow Leroy back to New York, where he will indeed break out of the chorus and make history playing one of the first openly gay characters in Broadway musical history. She's no longer a gypsy. She'll be leaving us soon. She did the understudy to the rescue bit. Now she's halfway to the moon. She's no longer a gypsy. No more equity calls. She's gonna get them crazy invitations now to Truman Capote's balls. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help other like-minded people find Broadway Nation by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Special thanks to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the entire team at the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm telling you, she will come through. But if she doesn't, oh, why not give me a whirl? She's no longer a gypsy. What?
You'll be a big fat star and have the world on toast. But don't forget your friends who love you most. It should happen to me. It should happen to me. It should happen to me. It should Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.